sometimes, um, sometimes it's so hard to figure out what to teach on. And you're like, oh man, is this what, is this what God has? Is this what God's doing in the church? And um, other times, other times it's just so apparent. And uh, it's just, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to put together the talk. It's so easy to, to put together what God is saying. And uh, it's, it never just gets old for me of, of sitting there and hearing testimonies and everything leading up to what I believe God has for us. I believe what God is speaking, not just to River City Church, but to us as individuals this morning. And so, you know, I'm like sitting over there, I'm like jumping out of my skin. I'm so excited to give this message. So I'm just going to pray. But the good news is the message is for you. The bad news is I might talk really fast because I'm really excited. So let's just pray that you can follow that. Um, God, we are thankful that you care enough about us to speak to us and to um, just bring words of, of life and words of encouragement to us. And we pray this morning uh, that you would allow me to deliver those words in a way uh, that, that lines up with what you're doing and, uh, I don't know, just moves people to, to that place of being able to receive that, that thing that you have for them, uh, that very personal thing that is just for them. It's not just for us as a church, as a whole, but for them this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. All right, let's jump right in. Um, this is Luke chapter 5, and uh, I believe this, this, is, this tells us a lot about the ministry of Jesus, and it tells us a lot about, um, I believe, what God's doing. This is starting in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 33. They said to him, you know, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. So Jesus is being approached by uh, the, the Pharisees or the religious people of the day that represented God or they believe they represented God and they represented the law of God. And they're, and they're saying to him, look, we fast twice a week. We fast on Monday and Thursday. That was the tradition. Monday and Thursday, we're fasting. But you guys aren't fasting. John, your buddy, your cousin right? Even his disciples are fasting, but you're not. You're not fasting. What's the deal? Why aren't you living up to our rules? Why aren't you doing the things that we believe you should be doing? And Jesus answers them in verse 34. He says, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Jesus, Jesus says, there, will, there is a time to fast, Make no mistake, there is a time to fast. This is not something that, that we're not going to do anymore, but now is not the time. Now is not the time because the bridegroom is here. And, and he, he brings in this, this illustration of a groom in a wedding celebration. And the wedding celebrations back then were much more extravagant than the wedding celebrations we have today. I mean, they would go on for days. A lot of feasting, a lot of drinking, a lot of socializing. It was a celebration. It was a huge deal. And so can you imagine somebody fasting in the midst of this celebration? But the bridegroom, the bridegroom is here. And this is, this is a new concept for them because they, they've never, this is the first time we see the Messiah who they were expecting, the Messiah who they were looking for. This is the first time we see an illustration of him as a bridegroom. That there would be a, a celebration, that when, he com- that when he comes, it would be like a celebration. It would be like the bridegroom coming. They weren't expecting that. This is a new concept to them. When they, they expected the Messiah to come with a sword, right? 
and to smite some of those sinners and to lead them to some kind of victory. They weren't expecting a celebration. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell them a parable to help them understand this concept. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one won't match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So he tells this parable, and the first part we can kind of track with, right? You don't take a, a, a patch from a new garment. You don't rip a patch off of a new garment and then try to put it on an old one. Because the only thing you're going to do is ruin both. You just ruin the new one, and the old one ain't going to look that high, right? And as the old one stretches and stuff like that, the, the, it's just not going to work because the material is not from the same garment. It won't look right. Both garments are going to end up ruined. And then he goes on to this other one that's a little bit harder for us because not a lot of us, not a lot of us keep our wine in wineskins, right? The more sophisticated, like if you're like me, you carry your wine in a box, right? <laughs> we, don't, we don't carry them in wineskins, but, but for them, they would have understood this illustration because they didn't get their wine in a box. They would have understood this illustration because they carried their wine in, in these wineskins. And what would happen is they would take the, the, the skin of an animal and they would, they would make the, the container for the wine. And what would happen is as the wine fermented, the, the skin would harden, and it would get to the point where if they were to, you know, pour new wine into it, the fermenting process would start all over again, and it would burst because it was too firm. It was too, it was already stuck in its way. It wasn't going to accept new wine. They would have understood this. I would have imagined there would have been a giggle. They would have, uh, you know, kind of laughed at the idea because nobody would do that. New wineskins and old wineskins. It would be a disastrous waste of wine. Um, now, now, at this point, I want to introduce kind of the context of everything that's going on when Jesus says this. So when Jesus first gets into it with the Pharisees, when they first bring up this concept of, you know, you guys aren't fasting, what's the deal? And he, and he finally culminates in this parable of new wine and old wineskins, um, Think about, if if you look, this is in Luke chapter 5. If you look just around Luke chapter 5 at all the things that are going on, the things that happen right before it and the things that happen right after it, Jesus is doing things that's freaking them out. Okay, bottom line, it's freaking them out because it's so different. It's so totally new. At one point, Jesus forgives a man of his sins. Just a little bit before this parable, he forgives somebody of their sins. Now, this, you know, isn't new to us as Christians, probably. But think about, for them, the Messiah is going to forgive somebody of sins? No, no, no. We weren't expecting that. That's not something that a, God, that a man can do. That's something that only God can do. That's blasphemy. This is a new thing that he's doing. This isn't what we expected. And Jesus, at the time after he forgives the sins, he's like, oh, yeah, but you guys were just expecting me to heal, so let me do that too. Jesus heals a man of leprosy. Again, just before this, he heals a man of leprosy, but he doesn't just heal him. He doesn't just give him the Jesus zap. He touches him. He touches him. With the Jews, they would have been fine if he had just zapped him, but he touched them. This is new. Why would you do that? You're going to make yourself unclean. He's a leper. He's an outcast. He's obviously done something wrong. 
Why would you do that? Why would you touch him? Just give him a zap, do something, but don't touch him. And right before, he goes to a party at a tax collector's house. And this, you know, just put him over the edge. Jesus is going around. He's also, he's getting his disciples. This is the very beginning of him calling his disciples. And he doesn't go to the temple and get the the holy, righteous Pharisees to follow him. Instead, he goes and he gets a tax collector. Levi, the tax collector, he calls him. And then they go over to his house and they have a party with the tax collectors and a bunch of sinners. This all happens right before this parable. And they're thinking, seriously, dude? Like, like this is the Messiah? This is really what we were expecting? That you were going to, no, you're supposed to smite them. Get out a sword. Don't have a party with them. They're upset. They're getting mad as they, as they think about this is not what we expected. This is not what we wanted. This wasn't the picture that I've had in my mind since I was a little boy and my dad taught me about the Messiah. It wasn't supposed to look like this. You are hanging out with the wrong people. They can never imagine. Think about the obscurity that Jesus was born into. He wasn't born into the most righteous family. Questionable pregnancy issues, right? (laughs) Born in a manger. If they could have known he was going to die a criminal's death, that he would die on a cross, this is totally a new concept to them. Now, Isaiah, years before, I get too excited, I start to sound like a girl. For the podcast, I am a man. I'll talk low for a second. Um, Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet Isaiah is prophesizing about what God is going to do. He's prophesizing specifically about the anointed one. And he says, see, I am doing a new thing. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I am doing a new thing. There's, there's, there's an area, there's a desert, and it's desolate, and there's no life. But guess what? I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring life. And it's not going to be an old thing. It's going to be a new thing. This is a prophecy about Jesus. So the Pharisees, they're missing this concept. Jesus is telling them, look, I didn't come to just add a couple new rules to the, to the system you've got going here. I didn't come just, you know, with an amendment to y'all's rules and regulations of holy living. I haven't come to patch up an old system. Such an effort would be as foolish as putting a patch of new, unshrunk cloth on an old garment or putting new wine in an old wineskin. The old forms of Judaism can never contain the spirit of the message of Jesus. It's a point he's making. It can't be contained in that. This is the new message of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's it's as crazy as cleaning the house for crack addicts. They don't deserve it. That's what the Pharisees are saying. Do you know who you were with last night? They don't deserve you. They don't deserve it. And implied in that is what? That they do deserve it. It's so funny. I'd love to have heard that debate. Should we go and clean these guys' house? They don't deserve it. And then at some point, you've got to realize, well, wait a minute. What do we deserve? <laughs> Aren't we glad we don't get what we deserve? This is the message of Jesus. He goes around and he's saying, look, the rulership 
of God has come in the most powerful way you've ever known. The rulership of God, the kingdom of God has come to everyone, to people living in a desert, to people where there is no life, to those that thought they were so far beyond reach. No, no. Jesus has come to say, no, you are in reach, that you can come home. It's time to come home because I'm here to tell you everything has been taken care of, not because of your own works, not because of your own attempts at righteousness, because of what what Jesus is going to do, because of what God has initiated in Jesus, you get to come home. You get to earn righteousness, not through your own works, but by what Jesus is going to do. And think about it. We can, we can do a lot. You know, we can work really hard. Those Pharisees, they had a good set of rules. There were a lot of hard things that they were doing. But what you can't do, you can renovate, you can make it look like new, but you can't make something new. God can. God comes with a message of, I will make all things new. One day, everything is going to be made new because I'm a God who makes things new. We as Christians, we believe this. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. I get excited, I spit. (laughs) Peace with God through God's work, not our own futile attempts at impressing him. The world tells us a leopard can't change its spots. A leopard can't change its spots. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. As Christians, our response needs to be not with God. God can change a leopard into a lion. God can make something a totally new creation. Not just fixing up the leopard, not just dyeing his, you know, his fur so he doesn't have spots. God, God can do so much more than that. He can make it new. This is the message of Jesus, real transformation. Talking to Nicodemus, he says, you know what? The newness of what God is doing the best way to describe it is it's like, it's like being born again. It's that different. It's new. It's like going from not being born to being born. That's a pretty big difference. He talks to a woman at the well, and he's like, look, a time is coming. It's now here where worship is all going to change. You're not going to go to a place. You're not going to have to go to, to the temple. You're not going to have to go to a mountain to worship God but you're going to be able to worship in spirit and truth. And she's like, whoa, this is new. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. How, how is this even possible? What are you talking about? But this is the message of Jesus. I am, I am doing a new thing. This is new wine. He goes on to say, no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For he says, the old is better. And this is the sad part for us as Christians, is that we believe this. We believed when we first accepted, when we first understood the concept of Jesus and what he did. We believe that he can make all things new. We believe that he does new things and that everything can change. But then as time goes on, we can fall into this trap of saying, ah, the old is better. So when God has something new to do in our lives, oh, but the old was so much better. Oh, it was so much better. Those were the days, right? I find myself, like, if you think about it in the church, I remember the old ceiling. Remember the old ceiling? We hated it while we were here. You thought you could die. It was an exercise in faith just to go to your seat because 
a tile could take you out, right? And then we got the new ceiling, and it was like, oh, man, <laughs> you should have seen the old one, right? The new carpet, it was the same. We got the new carpet. Oh, but you should have seen the old one. It was nasty. Yeah, those were the days. Like this selective memory that we have. I, I think about, um, you know, you hear people talk about their good old days in high school and college, and you just want to say, look, man, you are just picking choice memories, all right? The bottom line is it wasn't all that. It wasn't <laughs> this great thing that you remember. But we resist new things naturally. It's our response to new things is that we are going to resist them. And that's what Jesus is talking about, this tendency. The old is better. And some people say, well, you know what? I've got it all planned out. Man, I've just got a picture of my life, and this is where it's going. So certainly this new thing, if it doesn't fit, it must not be right. It must not be from God because it's in my plan. This is really hard, especially when things seem to be going reasonably well. You know, it's easy to accept change when uh, things are going bad because you want things to go better. So you're more excited about accepting change. But now when things are going well, man, my job is, is great. I'm getting paid well. I've got everything I need. And all of a sudden, God speaks to you. And there's a calling. There's a place. There's something that he wants to do. There's some new wine that he wants to pour into your life. And you're like, but no, no, no. Hey, God, I, that might have got, your message might have got mixed up because I'm doing pretty good. Like, I don't need you right now to mix things up. But Jesus is saying, This is the way that God works, is that he does new things. He does new things that we have to be like new wineskin. We have to be ready to flex and to receive and to be able to allow that change into our life so that we can experience everything that he has for us. Change forces us to consider our anchors. Changes force us to consider what's important. What's important? This This was the struggle of the Pharisees. We've always done it a certain way. Well, why are you changing it? Where does this come from? Because we've always done it this way. We've always thought about it this way. There's an old, there's an old uh, story that's told of a newlywed, and, um, and she sends her husband to go get a roast beef, and she tells him, you know, go get the roast beef, whatever. She, he gets it, he comes back, and she goes, oh, you didn't have the butcher cut off the ends of the roast beef. And he's like, well, why would I do that? Because we always cut off the ends of the roast beef. Well, why do we do that? My mom always did it. Well, why did your mom do it? Let's call her. Call the mom. Why'd you cut off the ends of the roast beef? Well, I don't know. Grandma always did it. All right, let's call grandma. Get on the phone, call grandma. Grandma, why'd you always cut off the ends of the roast beef? Well, I had a small oven. For years, you're militant about cutting off the ends of the roast beef. You don't even know why. You've just accepted it for so long. Pharisees, why do you fast on Monday and Thursday? Well, I don't know, but we do, and it's important. <laughs> we have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. When God calls us, he calls us to this place of trust. We have to trust him that that is the safe place. That is the safest place. Even if it's stepping out of our comfort zone, it's much safer to be with God 
than to reject the new wine that he has for us. If you think about, there are people that have held convictions just like the Pharisees for 50 plus years. Think about this. There are people that have held convictions and they've taught them in Sunday school and they've taught their kids and they've believed these convictions for 50 plus years. But you know what? I can find somebody else that had a different set of convictions that are directly opposed. One of them's wrong. One of them's wrong. You don't want to be in that place where when God wants to speak to you and teach you something new, that you're unwilling to receive it. No, 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 because that would mean that I've been wrong all these years. Yeah, you could have been wrong all these years. That's kind of what the Bible teaches us about us as people, that God does new things. We can't always trust what we've done in the past or the way that things have always worked in the past. This is tradition at at its worst. (laughs) Tradition is good when we can look at it and understand, oh, I cut off the ends of the roast beef to fit in the oven. That's a good thing. Now I understand it. So if I have a small oven, I'm going to cut off the ends of my roast beef. But looking at a tradition and understanding, and Jesus makes this appeal to Scripture. Scripture is the authority. Make no no mistake about what I'm saying this morning, okay? So if you go, God is doing a new thing. He wants me to shoot my boss. (laughs) No, no, no. God might be telling you to quit your job, but he's not telling you to shoot your boss. I am pretty confident in my interpretation of Scripture that killing your boss is not what God wants to do for you. Scripture is the authority, but make no mistake that the Pharisees had their scriptures picked out. They had their argument in place. We have to be careful that we don't use scripture to hide behind it and to defend something that we've believed for so long, but we refuse to to listen to somebody who maybe interprets the exact same scriptures in a different way. Jesus makes his arguments in in one of the parallel pieces of scripture where uh, Jesus is talking about the fast. And they're, they're calling him out on the fast again. He makes his appeal to, to the scriptures that they held close. And he says, well, hey, look, look what happened with David. And they're like, well, we, we choose not to look at that scripture because it doesn't support what we already believe. So make no mistake, we, when we trust God, we have to go back. We have to go back to what is the authority. We have to go back to scripture. We have to go back to what God has said that we can believe with authority, that we can believe is the revelation of God. You know, a couple weeks ago I talked about, you know, let your yes be no and your no be no. Wait, let your yes be. Don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, how do I know when to say yes and when to say no? Those are those core values that you have to have, that you have to have to be able to, to, to judge this new wine when it comes. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Like one would be, I was thinking about Paul, Right? Paul, he gets all of his guys together. Hey, we're going to this place. It's going to be awesome. I've Googled it. We've got some restaurants picked out. I've got the map all set. We're good to go. Pack it up. Tell your families this is where we're going. Holy Spirit talks to them. No, you don't want to go there. You need to go hear them instead. What does Paul do? In the scripture, it gives a sense immediately. All right, guys, we're not going there. We're going somewhere else. You see that? But wait, God, I've already packed my bags. I've already Googled it. I already know. I've already done the research. I've already told everybody I'm going to look like an idiot. But God speaks to him and says, no, don't go there. You need to go to this place instead. And he goes and he tells everybody, hey, uh, yeah, um, we're going to go somewhere else. Uh, why? Can you give us a scripture of why you're changing direction here? The Holy Spirit told me. 
See what I mean? Now, does it contradict Scripture? No, absolutely. It doesn't contradict Scripture. But Paul knows, no, this is from God. Whatever mechanism he used to know, but he was confident. God has told me this thing, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to respond to it. I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to rely on you to tell me whether or not this is from him or not. I am going to do this thing. We see this in Scripture over and over. Peter, Peter and Cornelius. Remember Peter? Was, uh, he, he, he had a vision of food, all the food that he wasn't allowed to eat, and it came down from heaven. And God said, go and eat. And what did, Paul, what did Peter say? No! <laughs> Surely not, Lord. I'm much too holy to eat that food. God just told you to eat the food. You're going to say no? Think about that. But Peter had held on to this belief for so long, he could not fathom that God would be pouring this new wine. No, go eat. Go mix with the Gentiles. Go speak to them about God. Go be a part of their community. Surely not, Lord. Even Peter, following Jesus, his his wineskin got a little bit too tight. And when God was pouring it out, Pouring out that new wine, he had a hard time adjusting and believing. This is something that we, as a church, we have to consider. I mean, especially at River City Church, right? Because we do all kinds of crazy stuff. We're moving to 5 o'clock. Well, 5 o'clock. I've always gone to church in the morning because that's what the Bible says. You know? Your pastor doesn't wear a tie. You need to wear a tie because that's, that's, that's what we've always done, you know? Like all these different things that we throw in there. I've always sat in the same place. <laughs> Not a River City, baby, unless you get here early. We have to be, you know, I was thinking about, this happened to me just this week. Uh, a buddy of mine, he was making fun of me because uh, I went to Chamberlain Bookbind. They wouldn't buy any of my, my books. Everybody I've ever met, everybody I've ever met says, hey, take your books to Chamberlain, they'll buy anything. Well, apparently not. <laughs> and so my friend making fun of me goes, yeah, well, you know, you still have books where like Pluto was a planet. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, Pluto is a planet. I don't care what these scientists say, all right? Pluto is a planet. And inside I could feel myself resisting. I am a scientist, right? I, I mean, I minored in astronomy and physics. I understand the concept of what makes a planet a planet. And yet looking at it, I actually Googled the criteria. Pluto is not a planet. But <laughs> here's my point. My resistance was totally crazy. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to tell my kids, Pluto's a planet. These scientists are going to tell you Pluto's not a planet. But just between us, it's totally a planet. <laughs> what? You know, where does that come from? My very educated mother just served us nine pancakes. <laughs> Some people are like, I have no idea what that is. That's how you remember the planets. Okay. We have to be ad- adaptable. <laughs> Everybody's still processing it. Sorry about that. Um, we have to be able to adapt to what God is doing. We have to be able to respond to this because that's how we can experience this abundant life that he has for us. We can get stuck in a rut. And if we get stuck in that rut and God wants to pour out new wine, either it's going gonna, it's gonna to 
pour out all over the place or, or your wineskin's going to burst. And some of us have been to that place. Paul's in that place right now. <laughs> Being a new dad, there's no amount of preparation for your wineskin to stretch the way it's going to get stretched when you have a baby, <laughs> right? But when that new wine comes, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to miss it but it's going to be this flexing process. It's going to be difficult to receive. It's going to be, I have to accept the fact that Pluto is no longer a planet. You, you, you have to accept that God is doing new things. And, and if you can't, then you're going to miss out on those new things. I was thinking about, I mean, this is so funny. When you look at, I, I love, uh, you know, being in business. And I love reading business books and stuff like that. And you look at uh, this concept Within any leader, if, I don't care if you're a leader in a nonprofit, if you're a leader in a for-profit, wherever you are a leader, this is something you have to deal with, is the ability to change. The ability to accept when that 20-year-old punk that's working for you throws out this crazy idea that you don't just shoot it down for no good reason. That you're actually open to what changes might come down the pipe. There's a whole bunch I could pick from, but I'm, I'm only going to be able to give you one. Think about Kodak film. Kodak, like, owned the world. I mean, Kodak was it. And when the digital camera came out, what did Kodak do? People are always going to want film. My mom always took pictures with film. I always took pictures with film. People will always use film. How many Kodak digital cameras are there right now? Not a lot because they missed out on this opportunity because they weren't ready to receive it. Like so much of Jesus' teaching, whether it's within the church within the, our life as, as Christian followers, or if you are just apply this to your life, it is a concept to live by because God designed life. We have to be open to change. We have to be open to what God is doing. You have to be open to those new things. God changes directions. He changes leaders. He changes processes. I love God changes people's names. <laughs> Think about it. God is a God of change. He shows up and he says, oh, yeah, 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 this thing's going to happen, and uh, I'm going to change your name just to show you how different it is. Levi, right, becomes Matthew, Abraham, and Sarah. Like all these different people, God changes their names to show them the difference that I am bringing. The newness that I'm bringing is so great. i got to give you a new name. This is the God that we serve. He's not a God of status quo. He's not a God who tries to keep the order of things. He mixes it up. He's... He's not interested in preserving it. He's committed to nothing less than an an entirely new order of creation. We know in Revelation the picture that we have is an entirely new order, that he makes all things new. The incarnation of God in Christ brought about a radical change that disrupted the status quo for all eternity. Forever, the status quo has already been interrupted just by what Jesus has already done. So are we ready to receive new wine At River City Church, are we ready to receive new wine in our personal lives? Are we like the Pharisee of the day where God is wanting us to receive some truth and we have to believe that it's not about us, that it's about him? Is it a relationship that you're in? (laughs) Those are the hard ones. And God's been telling you, you need to break up with this person. You need to, to, to break up. And yet, I'm, my wineskin's just not ready to receive that. I don't want that new wine. Give me something else. The old wine is so much better. I want like the Schlitz malt liquor. I don't want the Budweiser premium. Where's Trip Vodnicker? Woohoo! He works at Anheuser-Busch. Um, is it career change? 
that God wants, you know, there's all these different change, and I can't tell you what it is, but I believe that God's got it for you personally. Not just for us as a church, but I believe he's got it for you personally this morning. So in just a second, Derek's going to come up and lead us into a time of being able to come forward and have people pray with you. But right now, I want us to just stand and to just pray this prayer, just to just ask God to speak to us. What is the new wine that he has for us? God, we are so thankful for the message of Jesus. We're so thank you for the good news that it's no longer about us and our own efforts, but that we can receive from you the righteousness of the kingdom. And we pray right now that you would do new things in us, that you would do new things, that you would bring us to that place of becoming more and more like Christ, that we would never be in a rut, that we would never be doing something just because we've always done it. But Lord, that we would be doing it because it brings us life, because you've called us to it. Speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. What is it that you would have us do? What is it that you would have us receive? Where do we need to be flexible? God, speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, wow. I love a message like that. I came today thinking I was going to lead the service and kind of going through the mechanics of leading the service. And as I was listening today, I completely just totally lost focus of my job here today. And I started thinking, what do I have to change? What, what, what rut am I in? What am I doing? What's God doing? And it's just exciting when Thomas speaks that it's, I, I, it's absolutely from God. And we're going to move the first uh, uh, three rows of chairs, two or three rows of chairs. And this is just a time in the service where we've got an opportunity to respond. I think, you know, it'd be easy enough to say, well, God can work on my heart and I can pray about these things when I go home. But what a better time to respond to it than when you're with family, and that's, that's who we're with right now.